It's okay to be negative when something goes wrong, but not for more than five minutes. And I was taught in my co-training on day two that you set your timer for five minutes when you encounter adversity, a challenge, disappointment, a failure, whatever. And you give yourself five minutes to feel all of your emotions, bitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, punch a wall, whatever you got to do. Don't bottle them up. Don't pretend everything's okay. Feel it fully. But then we were taught when the timer goes off after five minutes, you say three very powerful words, which to this day, I say these all the time. Can't change it, right? Can't change it. It's not that I can't change anything, but it's that I can't change what already happened. I can't go back in time. Can't change it. And that's an acknowledgement that we can't change the past. So there's no value in dwelling on it and creating this inner emotional turmoil, wishing that reality were different. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks, cut from a different cloth. Y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the Rucker Paw. Now we eating from state to state. We scrape the plate. I put my eggs in the basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance. Now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests. Now let's bring Matt. Welcome to the show, everyone. Episode number 244 right here on the Decoding Success Podcast. This is your host, Matt Labrie. You just heard a quick glimpse of the incredible conversation and the incredible guest, our friend, Hal Elrod, that is joining us in just a few moments. But before getting into that, I want to ask you a very serious question. I want to ask you, do you feel that you can radically shift and improve your life just one morning at a time, simply one morning at a time, day after day, step by step? Do you feel Do you really feel that you can change your life that way? You may be saying, no, I'm not a morning person, and I get it. I don't feel like I'm a morning person some days, some weeks, some months, some years. It varies for me. But the individual joining us, Hal Elrod, has impacted the lives of millions upon millions of people just by simply changing how they start their day. Now, if you don't know Hal, he has survived multiple near-death experiences. Seriously, we're going to dive into that as well. But he's impacted millions of people through his books and speeches because he's on a mission to elevate the consciousness of humanity just one morning at a time. As the author of 12 books, most notably The Miracle Morning, I'm sure you've seen it, you've read it, you've heard of it, which is translated into 37 languages and has sold over 2.5 million copies, he is doing just that. He is living out his mission. His latest project, in fact, does it as well, The Miracle Morning Movie, a documentary that shows you how millions upon millions of people are transforming their lives by simply changing how they start their day. If you haven't seen that documentary, by the way, I was actually watching it right before this interview and I had noted that. And there are incredible people that you know very well. The people that you follow on social media, the people that you read about, the people that you hear on podcasts, the people that have been on this show as well, are in this movie talking about how they implement this in their life. So today, Hal is going to show us how we can do the exact same thing right here on Decoding Success. So if you're tuned into this, I don't want you to be pushing this to the side saying, you know, I'm not a morning person. I'm not really into that. I want you to be open to this idea because I've started to practice this ever since we recorded this episode. And you want to know what? Some days aren't easy and I'm going to keep it real. Setting my alarm for a lot earlier than it's typically set. Sometimes I don't even set an alarm, but setting that alarm, it's really tough sometimes. Hopping out of bed, jumping into the exercises that the most successful people in the world have deemed to be the reasons why they have achieve that level of success in their life, I really, really want you to approach this with openness. And you want to know what, when that light bulb goes off and you say, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to urge you to make sure that you're sharing this with at least two people in your life, not three people, not one person, just two people. 
Why two people? Because two is different than one and three. So we're going with two today. I'm going to urge you to make sure you're sharing this with two people in your life, whether that be on social media, whether that be via text message, email, word of mouth, however, to whoever. I'm going to urge you to make sure you do that once the light bulb goes off. But without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Hal Elrod. Hal, welcome to Decoding Success. We were just having some good laughs before diving into this. Really excited to have you. Your journey is absolutely incredible. Your body of work is even more incredible. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. It is my pleasure. And when you described your audience, your listeners, I thought, oh, that's my perfect, like, that's, that's who I'm, who it's really my, my message, you know, my, uh, my audience as well. So excited for this, man. I love that. I love that. Now, many people know of your journey, including the accident that you were in that really drastically changed your life. And we could dive into that a little bit, but I actually want to talk about your mindset. And I actually have the, the movie on right now, the Miracle Morning movie, literally right next to me. It's actually nice. paused on your face as you're meditating because I didn't, <laughs> want to, I didn't want you to be able to pick up the audio. But one thing that I learned from reading your work from this movie and beyond was your mindset after the accident. And I'm specifically referring to the medical professionals that were working on you saying to your family and the people close to you, how, like, I don't know if something is like off with how, like, he's just really positive and he's not supposed to be because of what he just experienced. Like, I want to yeah. dive into that and understand where that comes from for you. Yeah. So I, yeah, I came out of the coma. I was, you know, hit head on by a drunk driver at 70 miles an hour, broke 11 bones, dead for six minutes, came out of a coma six days later. And I was told I would never walk again. And I suffered permanent brain damage. I had 11 broken bones. And, you know, I don't care what age you are, like that's hard to hear and to, to you know, to your, your mind is racing going, well, what does this mean? Like, I'm going to be in a wheelchair the rest of my, I'm 20 years old. I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life. What? And I had learned something a year and a half prior called the five minute rule. And here's how this rolled out. So my dad comes into the hospital room about a week after I was out of the coma. So I was in a coma for six days, out of the coma, had about a week to process what was going on. I'm in a hospital bed. I can't walk. My left arm's broken. I can't move that. And my dad comes in. He had met with the doctors that day with my mom. And he said, Hal, hey, I want to talk to you. The doctors are really concerned. And I was like, oh, you know, what news did you just get? And he, and he basically explained they were actually concerned with my mindset. They thought that I was in denial. They told my mom and dad, they said, look, it's not normal for a 20-year-old young man to act the way Hal is acting. He's always smiling and laughing and joking and, and making us laugh. And they said, that's not normal for you know, someone that's being told you're never going to walk again. So they said, we, we believe he's in denial or he's delusional in some way, and he's just not facing reality and he's kind of checked out. And so my dad said, Hal, it's okay. The doctor said it's normal for you to go through a process of feeling sad and scared and angry, you know, but you need to admit it. You need to face this reality. How are you really feeling? And, you know, my dad was like, I mean, he was emotional, like trying to, you know, talk through this and he's, he's, he's holding back tears. And I really went inside and thought about it. Am I sad? Am I scared? Am I depressed? Am I angry with the drunk driver, which was another thing that the doctor suggested it was normal, quote unquote, right? Normal. And I looked at my dad. I said, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, remember, I live my life by the five minute rule that I learned a year and a half prior in my Cutco sales training. I was one of Cutco's uh, top sales reps the night I was hit by the drunk driver. I'd given a speech at a conference and I said, remember, I live by the five minute rule. And he said, remind me what that means. 
And I, I think I honestly joked, I said, dad, you and mom would be so much happier if you, I've told you guys this like a million times, but okay, here you go. It's okay to be negative when something goes wrong, but not for more than five minutes. And I was taught in my Cutco training on day two that you set your timer for five minutes when you encounter adversity, a challenge, disappointment, a failure, whatever. And you give yourself five minutes to feel all of your emotions, bitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, punch a wall, whatever you got to do. Don't bottle them up. Don't pretend everything's okay. Feel it fully. But then we were taught when the timer goes off after five minutes, you say three very powerful words, which to this day, I say these all the time. Can't change it, right? Can't change it. It's not that I can't change anything, but it's that I can't change what already happened. I can't go back in time. Can't change it. And that's an acknowledgement that we can't change the past. So there's no value in dwelling on it and creating this inner emotional turmoil, wishing that reality were different. And what I learned is that when painful emotions are all self-created by our resistance to our reality, it's wishing and wanting that something were different that is now out of our control whether that's past, present, or future. If there's something in the future or, or going on in the world that's happening you know, in somebody else's life or across the world, like we can't change it. So the only choice we have is, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to allow this circumstance that, that's in the past now to cause me to feel angry and depressed? Am I going to dwell on this? Am I going to wish it were different? Am I going to resist reality? Or the opposite, the alternative is, or I'm going to accept it unconditionally. Life is what it is. Whatever happened, happened. I can choose to be, and, and this is what I realized, I can choose to be the happiest and the most grateful I've ever been while I'm enduring the most difficult time in my life. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And so I said, dad, if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I'll be the happiest, most grateful person you've ever seen in a wheelchair, but I'm not willing to accept that as my fate until there's no other option. I, until then, I'm visualizing that I'm going to walk again every single day. I am praying that I will walk again every day. I am maintaining unwavering faith in that possibility while I simultaneously accept that it might not happen and I will be at peace if that is the case. And then my dad went back to the doctors. I, I don't think they believed it. They thought your son is still delusional. This isn't normal. One week after that conversation, the doctors came in with routine x-rays and they said, we don't know how to explain this, Hal, but your body is healed so quickly that we're going to let you take your first step tomorrow in therapy. Wow. And which I did. And it went from never walking again to three weeks after I was found dead, after my femur broke in half, my pelvis broke in three places that I took my first step. And yeah, and for me, that's where that mindset came from is I learned it when I was very fortunate that when I was 19, I learned every painful emotion you've ever experienced in your life or that you could ever experience in the future that you're experiencing now is self-created. The way to transcend emotional pain is to accept life exactly as it is, stop resisting reality and be at peace with the things you can't change and then focus all of your energy into the things that you can change. I love this. So Hal, the first question that comes to mind based off of this story is, what's your advice for the people that are tuned into this to not let the conditioning of the people around us penetrate us and impact our belief system, right? Because you could have very well given into what the doctors were considering norm, right? And this even yeah. goes beyond that, right? Like our parents can want us to be safe. So don't start that business, you know, go, go, to, the, go to the traditional route. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying like people can project onto us. How do we not let that penetrate what we truly believe? Yeah, I think it's a matter of making a decision. In fact, this is one of my affirmations. It, it was a long time ago. I don't say it anymore because it's, it's hardwired now, but I will never let the limiting beliefs of other people limit what's possible for me. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I will never let the limiting beliefs of other people limit what's possible for me. You know, and I think we're very influenced by others. Someone says you can't do this. You're like, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe I can't. Who are they? Don't know. Well, who are they? And that's actually one thing I told my dad. I think it was that same conversation. I said, dad, the doctors might be experts in medicine, but they're not experts in me. They have no idea what I'm capable of. And I would say the same thing to you listening, you know, your parents, your, you know, friends, your family, right? Any authority, perceived authority figures. We've been conditioned, and this is, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent, but this is very related. We've been conditioned since childhood, not for critical thinking, right? But for obeying authority. Do what you're told. Why? Because I said so. Listen to your teachers. Are they qualified? Maybe they have a degree, right? Well, but did you interview them? Do you know, mom and dad, do you know their values? Do you know their track record? Do you know what they're like in their personal life? Do you know what their level of personal, like, do you know, like the business teacher that's teaching me business? Do they have a successful business? Right. And we're taught, no, 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 no. Don't question, just obey. And so I'm really big on, you know, not that I'm like some anarchist, you know, I respect everyone, but deciding that someone else, because they have a, a, a lab coat on, right. Or they've got a title or they've got an acronym after their, their name, right. PhD or whatever, deciding that they somehow have more domain or more influence or more expertise over you than you do to me is, is, is insane. And so, yeah. So, I mean, that's it is you've got to decide that, Hey, I am just, here's another one. My favorite affirmation. I am just as worthy, deserving, and capable of anything that another human being has done. And I will prove it, right? I am just as worthy, deserving, and capable of anything another human being has done. And I will prove it. So we have to adopt this limitless mindset that there is nothing outside of physical limitations, right? Like if you're, you know, five feet tall, maybe you won't slam dunk a basketball, but but in terms of what's, what you're capable of, in terms of everything you want to create for your life, there are no limits except those you place on yourself. And so don't let somebody else's limiting beliefs limit what's possible for you. I love this. Now, in regards to your specific mindset at the time of the accident, and even up till, you know, to this point, if someone's listening to this and they're like, well, how? Like, fuck, my mindset's totally different. And they, it might be a negative mindset. What's the process of reversing it? Is it as simple as the five-minute rule? I mean, so I think that there's a few pieces here and I'll share with you when I started. So I was 19 years old. I was a DJ on 97.1 FM. That was my dream. It was my second radio station. I was following this path to be a nationally syndicated radio DJ. One of my college buddies convinced me to go in for an interview for Cutco. I had told him for like months and months and months, dude, I am not a salesperson. Like I don't want to sell anything. And, but he finally convinced me, just, just go in, humor me, go for an interview. I'm like, all right. Anyway, I got really excited. I was like, wow, there's like no ceiling on your income. This is a commission position. So I can earn whatever I want versus I'm making like 10 bucks an hour at the radio station. Like that's, I'm limited. I have no, I have no control over my income. I really got attracted to that idea of there's no ceiling on my income in sales. So I go through training and here's what I want to say. My entire life up until that point, I was very mediocre, meaning I I didn't get good grades. I wasn't an athlete. I didn't excel at anything in my life other than, you know, being, I mean, being a radio DJ, that was pretty cool, but I didn't work hard. I mean, it just, I just, you know, I got kind of lucky, whatever. I, I went and interviewed, I got the job. But the point is I had never, my mindset was not the way it is now. I, that was the defining moment when I was 19 years old. And on my second day of training, I learned about this thing called the fast start contest. It was the first 10 days in your Cutco career where there was all sorts of, only for 10 days, there was all sorts of incentives and reward levels, things that were designed to get a new sales rep 
motivated to work really, really hard for the first 10 days, like a sprint, so that you develop some confidence in yourself. And on day two of training, we learned about the highest level in the fast start, which was the record, the most anyone in 50 years in the company had ever sold. And I don't know what happened, but for me, Matt, this, I'm going to, I want to share this because it's one of the most important beliefs I believe for all of us to adopt. And it answers your question. I went, wait a minute. If this other person had sold $12,137 a Cutco in 10 days, why not me? They're just a human being that was born a baby, learned to walk, showed up at a Cutco interview. I'm guessing they had no experience selling kitchen cutlery before their interview, just like me, but they worked really, really hard for 10 days and they tapped into something that we all have, this unlimited potential, and they made it happen. So I went to my manager after the interview, I said, or after training, I said, I want to break the record. And he said, Hal, I hear that all the time, but no one's willing to put forth the effort. And again, Matt, I want to highlight, I got really intimidated because I went, I'm not a hard worker. I am lazy as they come. But I said, you know what? I'll follow your lead. I will do whatever it takes for 10 days. I'm committed for 10 days to be unlike I've ever been before. I'm going to decide to be disciplined. I've never been that before. I'm going to decide to work hard. I've always avoided that. I'm going to go for it. And in that, you know, I think it's Tony Robbins that says, in our moments of decision, our destiny is shaped. It was when I made a commitment on day two of training to my manager, my mentor, Jesse. I said, Jesse, I will do whatever it takes for 10 days to break this record. And it was in those 10 days, I felt like quitting. I felt like giving up. I had all sorts of failure. You know, 20 customers did not buy from me during those 10 days. Like, but I kept going, I kept going, I kept going. And so again, if you're listening, realizing that if another human being has done something, that's evidence of what's possible for you. It goes back to that mindset of limitlessness. There's nothing that you can't do. It's a matter of getting clear on what you want, owning your inherent abilities that you can do anything and then setting a time frame. Okay. For the next, you know, just work in sprints, work in those sprints. It's hard to commit for a year. A year is a long time, but 10 days, one week, maybe a month, a 30 day challenge, right? I usually focus on 30 day challenges, commit. What are you going to do for 30 days? That's going to move you in the direction of your goals, your dreams, everything that you want to be for your life. And if you do that 30 days from now, you are a different version of the person that is listening to this right now. I love that. Now, what comes to mind right away is if someone does go through a 10 day or a 30 day challenge and they see themselves changing, but that change is uncomfortable because they're wired to believe that they're not worth it. What's your advice there? The fact that you said it is expected, right? It is ex- expected is that, and that's why I say one of my favorite affirmations that I said a few minutes ago, to me, this is like the foundational and it, and it answers what you just said, which is I am just as worthy deserving and capable of everything I want as any other person on earth. That like that is foundational because if you operate from that paradigm, you go, okay, well, I'm just as worthy. Okay. That addresses what you just said, right? Is Well, it's uncomfortable because I'm, I don't think I'm worthy. No, no, you're just as worthy. Why are you less worthy than another human being, right? I believe we're all born with this inherent worthiness. So you're just as worthy. You're just as deserving, right? Which kind of goes hand in hand with worth. And then you're just as capable. And again, you have to, I think part of that is realizing that your capabilities are not defined by your past. They are defined by your potential. And I think that we tend to define them by our past in the miracle morning, right? In my book, I called it rear view mirror syndrome, which is that we've got this rear view mirror stuck in our subconscious. And whenever we're faced with a challenge or an opportunity, unconsciously, we check the rear view. It's almost like more of an emotional thing, right? You go, you check the rear view, you go, uh, I've never done this before. 
I've never worked hard. I've never overcome this. I've never, right? Like, and so there's this instant, I can't do it. And that's why for me, the foundational affirmation is no, 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 no. You have to affirm every day your inherent worth, that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable. And if you do it every single day, at first it might feel phony. At first it might be like, yeah, I'm, I'm affirming this, but I don't really believe it because my past, I sucked in the past, blah, 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 right? You've got to keep affirming it until you embody it, until you become acclimated to this new paradigm. And then one day you'll wake up and all of a sudden an opportunity will come your way and you'll go, you know what? Without even thinking, you'll unconsciously go, I am just as worthy, deserving, and capable as any other person, and I will prove it, right? And that was that decision I made on my second day of training. And everyone has that ability to make that decision every single day. And it, you know, they say fake until you make it. I think that's a fair strategy. I think you got to, it doesn't feel authentic to embody a paradigm in the beginning that you've never embodied before because it's not who you've been, right? It's one of the hardest things to do is to show up and to see ourselves as different than we've been in the past. We're stuck in that rear view, right? But if you, you got to start somewhere. And if you consistently every day, it's kind of like I told my wife this morning, she was asking me about, she's listening to a book I recommended called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, which I highly recommend. And she was asking me about one of the chapters. She said, it talks about opening your heart, but I don't get that. Like, how do you keep your heart open? And I said, sweetheart, the only way to do it is through daily training. You've, you know, during my miracle morning, I'm embodying the mindset, the emotional states that I want to embody always. And in the beginning, they're always foreign. They're always uncomfortable. They don't resonate as authentic because they're new, but just like exercising the first day you lift a weight, you're like, dude, I am weak. <laughs> just like the first day you try to embody an emotional state, you go, I am weak at this. I, this is not re- feel real. But if you keep gradually day by day by day, you wake up 30 days from now and you go, dude, I'm actually feeling, embodying my inherent worth. I'm actually believing that my capabilities are limitless. I'm a different person. I see the world through new new eyes and I'm going to start living in alignment with the way that I see myself. What about those that experience a lack of patience or expect? And when I say those, me, <laughs> you yeah, know, when it comes down to instant gratification and someone's maybe partaking in, you know, the miracle morning or 75 hard or a challenge like that. And they're like, you know what? I just did 30 days and I don't really feel any different or like, what's your advice for those types of people? Yeah. I think that that's something that human, human nature, we all deal with a lack of patience. You know, we want we want what we want and we want it now, right? And what happens is because we live in this delusional state and it's usually unconscious, right? But you see someone that has what you want, right? They're living the life that you want. They're achieving the success that you want. They've got the marriage that you want, whatever. And you go, I want that. But our brain doesn't do a good job of being realistic around the time frame it takes, right? It's like, I want that. And the brain just says, now, right? Like want that now. And so most people, what happens is I call it the infatuation period where when an idea is new and exciting, you can give it a shot, right? I'm going to do it. It's new. It's exciting. Right. And in the miracle morning, there's a chapter called from unbearable to uncomfortable to unstoppable. And, and I break down a 30 day challenge in these 10-day phases where the first 10 days, and it's not an exact science, it could be the first three days or the first 15 days or whatever, but the first, roughly the first third, the first 10 days feel unbearable. 
right? It's this new thing. It's I'm not used to getting up any earlier. I'm not used to like, I used to hate running. And then because I hated running, I thought, what if I committed to run 52 miles in one day? I know this sounds insane. It started with 26, actually it started with a 5k. Then once I wrapped my head around a 5k, I'm like, well, maybe I'll do a half marathon. Then once I wrapped my head around the half marathon, this was like over a few weeks. I go, well, why don't I just do a full marathon? But then I had a friend that did a, a, an ultra marathon, 52 miles. And I went, well, if he could do it, I could do it. It goes back to that belief, right? If he could do it, I could do it. But I wasn't a runner. And what I realized is that that's a limiting belief. Like I'm not a morning person, which a lot of people adhere to. That's not a fact. That's a limiting belief. If you haven't in the past woken up intentionally or any earlier than you have to, well, then of course you're not a morning person. Just like I had never run before. So I wasn't a runner. Then one day I committed to go jog for half a mile. It was my first day of training and it was really, really hard. But the second day was a little bit easier. It was still it kind of felt unbearable. It was in those first 10 days, right? Those first 10 days, it felt unbearable. But after 10 days, I went, I'm actually becoming a runner because I'm running. You wake up a little earlier each day, you become a morning person, right? So we have these limiting beliefs that think that we think we're, it's this fixed mindset. It's like, no, just take just one foot in front of the other, just lean into the change. So those first 10 days might feel unbearable, but if you know going into it that, okay, is it worth it for me to become the person that I need to be to create everything else I want for my life? Is it worth 30 days of waking up a little bit earlier? Is, you know, completing this 52 mile ultra marathon, is it worth 30 days of, you know, going for a jog every day? You got to, only you can decide that, right? Is the life of your dreams worth 30 days where the first 10 days are unbearable, the next 10 days are uncomfortable. And at some point in those final 10 days, you wake up and that new thing, that new habit, that, that what, what felt unbearable on day one, you become unstoppable because it now becomes part of who you are. You become acclimated and it is just effortless. And that to me, it, you know, you got to decide for you, but that to me is where I live my life in 30 day challenges. Every 30 days, I go, what's one new way of thinking, new way of being, new habit, new behavior that I'm committed to adopting in my life so that I can become the version of me that can create everything else that I want. I love that. But it, it brings me to ask, you know, you talk about these habits or, you know, routines becoming a part of you. Have you ever personally experienced you know, maybe going through the miracle morning or another, you know, routine or whatever it is and you missing something and then kind of feeling like, all right, this day is fucked. Yeah. So I have a philosophy around that, which is never turn, never let one bad day turn into two. You know, what, what ends up happening is very often we miss, we commit to something, right? We start out with the infatuation period I talked about where you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Right. Like, you know, everybody's all excited when it's conceptual. It's really easy to be like, excited, overconfident when it's conceptual, when there's no actual effort needed just to think about the idea, right? So what happens is at some point, typically during those first 10 days, you know, you end up missing a day. And what often we do is you go up, ah, I knew it. I'm a loser. I suck. I don't have the discipline to do this. Who am I kidding? Right. My, in fact, when I was selling Cutco, my very first day, like I was trying to, I only had 10 days to break a record. I had to average. So the record was 12,000 bucks. I had to average over 1200, basically 1300 a day, every single day. So my very first day I went out and I'm like, okay, I'm going to schedule appointments with the three people that I think are most likely to buy in my network. Right. And so I got the best chance of getting started and I've got to, I've got to get to at least 1300 just to even be on pace. Right. And I went Oh, for three that day. I went 0 for 3. I sold 0. 
And I called my manager, Jesse, and I was like tail between my legs. I was humiliated. I was ready to give up. I'm like, who am I kidding? I talked a big game. I thought I could do it, but reality sets in. I am not capable of anything, right? My past shows me that. I'm a mediocre student. I'm a mediocre athlete. And now day one just proved I am a mediocre Cutco sales rep. I'm destined to be mediocre probably for the rest of my life. That's how I felt. And I called Jesse and I said, hey, and he's all fired up. How did it go? You know, tell me, right? I go, dude, I, I didn't sell anything, man. I'm, I don't know what to tell you. I don't think I'm, doesn't look like, I said, I, I said, it doesn't look like I'm breaking the fast start record. And he said, okay, Hal, I get that you're disappointed. I said, yeah. He said, there's one of two ways you can respond right now. I said, okay, I'm listening. He said, number one, you can give into your disappointment and you can quit. That's probably what you feel like doing. Am I right? I said, yes, hundred percent. He said, there's a second option. I said, okay. He said, and if you, if you give into option number one, you will then, you'll reinforce that you are a quitter, that when you experience adversity, you give up. You, do you want to reinforce that? I said, no. What's option number two? He said, you could do the only thing that a successful person will, would do in this case, which is they would put the path behind them and get on the phone and do, you know, let go again, can't change it. Let go of what you can't change and focus all your energy on what you can change. You can get on the phone right now. You can schedule more appointments for tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. That's all you can control. And you can go out and you can let the averages work out. And maybe tomorrow you'll sell, you know, double. Right? Who knows? Right. Right. He said, and I was like, he goes, do you want to be successful in life? I said, of course. He said, then right now is your opportunity to do what a successful person would do. I was like, son, okay, damn, man. All right. You know, but it makes so much sense. Like he hit me emotionally, but he hit me logically. Right. And those kind of go hand in hand. I was like, he's right. If I giving up doesn't benefit me at all. It's what I feel like, you know, and, and I've always, I've adhered to this idea that those who do what they feel like don't do much because human nature is to do what's easy. It's mm -hmm. to avoid discomfort, right? That, that's human nature. If you want to be successful, you have to override this inborn human nature and you have to, because we're programmed, humans are programmed to survive, not thrive, not be successful. We are programmed to do the minimum required to not starve to death and not run out of water. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I think that in the past, you know, if you were a hunter, you hunted the buffalo and then that was enough to eat for however long. And you probably just chilled. Right. You didn't go be like, hey, I, I want to get more buffaloes than the other guy. It's like, no, you were just the minimum needed to survive. So that's how we're hardwired. And millions of years of evolution, we have to take make a conscious decision to kind of override that. And so I got back on the phone and just to wrap the story up. I scheduled 10 appointments for the next day. I was like, I'm talking like 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. driving around town all day. And I sold two, not kidding, two thousand seven hundred and sixty eight dollars. So I made seven sales. So I basically doubled, just just slightly more than doubled the day before, and I was now I was back on track. And you know, and then and then on the final day, going into that last day, I was still over eleven hundred dollars away from the goal. I was scared to death. I was like, oh my gosh, it's make or break. And I ended up selling four thousand dollars the last day, and it was like you know fifteen thousand for the fast start, you know, in the record books or whatever. But that is from someone. That again, I didn't go into this an achiever. Like we all know people that, you know, have always been successful. They were successful in school. They were great at sports. They were like, right, if you weren't that guy or gal, like I wasn't that guy or gal, this is your moment, right? Like any moment you get to decide 
who am I going to be from this moment on? My past does not define my future, but my potential can, and it will. Mm. How was Hal at 20 years old at that point in your life defining success versus how you're defining success today? I mean, then it, you know, it was very much, very much what America teaches us is success, right? right. Which is, you know, our cultural, you know, so our celebrity culture, you know, all of the success culture, money culture. I'm glad you asked this question, but it, it was very much, you know, I want to make a bunch of money. I want to be a millionaire. That was my goal. I remember when I started selling Cutco, I was making a bunch of money and I go, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25, right? I was 20 or 19 when I started. And when I was 25, I don't think I even had $100,000 saved. I was like, okay, by the time I'm 30, when I was 30, still wasn't there, right? But then I had a daughter and then I got really serious. And then five years later, I achieved that goal. But the way I defined success then, it was again, very materialistic. Now I would define success based on fulfillment and impact. To me, it's how happy are you? Because if you have all the money in the world and you're miserable, I could hardly call that successful. Right. right. So how happy, how fulfilled is your life? And then number two, what kind of impact are you making in the lives of other people? How are you serving those you love, those you lead and humanity? And I will say this, I believe money based on the way our society is set up is part of all of that. One of my affirmations that I wrote, like, I don't even know, 10, when I started Miracle Morning, like 10 years ago was I'm committed to becoming wealthy because I know the more money I make, the more resources and options I'll have available to me and the more people I can help. So like I was able to tie income and impact in from an early age. And the beauty of that is if you have this mission to help as many people as you possibly can, if your impact vision is, you know, limitless, right? Then that's going to drive you long after you've reached the income goals you have, because here's what happens. If all you're focused on is making money, well, once you start making enough money to pay all your bills and live comfortably, what's driving you to make more money, right? Unless it's, I want to make more money than anybody else. I want to, like, I have a friend who his goal was a hundred million dollar net worth where first it was a million, then it was 10, then it was a hundred, right? And, and he's achieved all of these goals. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing still working? Like you have two small kids. If I were you, I would be retired. Like you have enough investments. You never have to work again. And it took a while, but I kept badgering with this. And now he's finally like stepping back and not working so much. Right. But if your goal is impact and you want to, you know, like for me, my goal was to change 1 million lives one morning at a time when the miracle morning came out, once we sold a million copies, I had to change the goal, right? I was like, well, okay, we, we hit that goal. Now it's to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time. And so the way that I view it is we've reached, you know, a few million people with the Miracle Morning books. That means there's about 7 billion people that still need what I know can help them. And now I'm on this lifelong mission that until the day that I die, I will be sharing the Miracle Morning with as many people as I possibly can. That's a beautiful thing, without a doubt. I'm curious. I know you hop on podcasts left and right. What's a question you wish more people would ask you? Uh -huh, I love that one. What is a question? I, I, the last one was a good one about how I define success when I was 20 versus now. Yeah, give me a second to think about that. What's by all question? means, by all means. And I'll let you know, we, we typically open the show up for 200 plus episodes asking how someone would personally define success. So that's, I, I actually kind of strayed away from it for a little bit because I didn't want to be so repetitive. Yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, when, when you're that many episodes into a podcast, damn, can I, can I keep asking this? But I mean, you can, because everyone defines it differently and it's a beautiful thing, but yeah. Here, um, yeah. 
Here's what, here's how I'll answer that. And I'm sure I could, you know, if we did a hundred interviews, I could probably answer it, you know, 50 different ways or a hundred different ways. But the question I would ask is how, what do you believe people should focus on right now? When the pandemic hit right around, you know, March, 2020, that was the question that I asked. I think all of us were bombarded with things to focus on that were out of our control, like a pandemic. I don't know about you. No, no one has control over, you know, the pandemic, right? People losing their jobs, all this division, all the, I mean, politics, all these things. Right. The thing is when we focus on that, which is out of our control, we feel out of control. I want you to think about that. How much time do you spend focusing on things that you do not have direct control over? Now that could even be in your own personal life, like the past. How many of us are focused on what just happened or what happened last week, last month, last year? We don't have control over that. It already happened, right? How about other people in your life, your spouse, your kids, people on Facebook or Twitter that are spouting political opinions that are, you know, that just trigger you and that are not what you agree with. You don't have control over them. When we focus on that, which is out of our control, we feel out of control. And feeling out of control is what leads to anxiety and leads to fear and leads to depression. So the question, okay, so what should we focus on? I believe that the most important thing for us to focus on is ourselves. It's how can we optimize ourselves and specifically our mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual states so that we can be at our best for those that we love, for those that we lead, for humanity, and of course, for us, for ourselves, right? But to me, that's what the miracle morning is. The miracle morning is a daily ritual that you do every day. You don't have to get up super early. It's not the 5 a.m. club. If you wake up normally at 7, get up at 6.30. Like, it's not a big stretch. Get up half an hour earlier, dedicate time to the miracle morning, which is, you know, meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling, and starting your day with those practices that the world's most successful people have sworn by for centuries that will enable you to be in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state so that you show up to your day as the best version of yourself, a better version of who you were when you went to bed the night before. And now that affects everything. It affects how you feel. You're happier. You're more confident. You're more motivated. You're more energized. You're at peace, right? It affects what you do. You have more discipline. You're more productive. You make a bigger impact in the world, right? That to me is what should we focus on? We should focus on optimizing ourselves every single day, first thing in the morning, so that we're at our best for every aspect of our life. I love that. Now, Hal, I know I only got you for a couple more minutes. I want to let everyone know that all of websites, socials, where people can get the book, all of that good stuff will be in the show notes of this episode. you have anything going on that we should make people aware of before I squeeze one last question out of you? Yeah. You mentioned the Miracle Morning movie. Uh, that's pretty fun. That came out you know, uh, a year it's or so great. ago, but that is on uh, mir at miraclemorningmovie.com. In fact, miraclemorning.com is the hub for everything. But the newest thing, which I'm really excited about, is the Miracle Morning app. I have been asked to create an app for, I mean, close to a decade, right? Like, wait, wait, is there an app? Where's the app, right? And there's like been knockoff apps, like really cheesy little apps. Anyway, we finally launched the Miracle Morning app for Android and for Apple. And we had 10,000 users the first month. And, you know, so that's really, really exciting. It launched in January. But yeah, so check out the Miracle Morning app. It's five bucks. And we're about to add a journaling feature, an affirmations creator, guided sale, all sorts of different features. That's awesome. I'm going to make sure that's linked in the show notes as well. But as mentioned, I have one last question for you. It might seem like a simple one, but it's probably the biggest one I'm asking all day. If Hal 
impacts as many people as he wants to impact, lives to whatever year he wants to live to, does everything that he wants in this life, but everyone you've impacted can only remember you for one thing. What would that one thing be? Let me just clarify in regards to like a piece of advice. Piece of advice. Okay. Got it. You are limitless. I think that's it. And I know I'm not, you know, that's not trademarked. That's not unique to me. I'm sure other people have said that, but that's just what came up for me. Right. Like I would, you know, if I was, if I was branding it, I would say, oh, you know, wake up to your full potential. It's the miracle morning. Right. But no, I think that's it. You are limitless. Right. And, and for us to own that, because from that paradigm, we can do anything. And if our paradigm is I am limited, then so is what we can do. So if we want to make the biggest impact in the world, if we want to create the life of our dreams, I think it stems from that belief and that paradigm that, yes, I am limitless and I'm going to go prove it. Yeah. And you have done that through your story, your work, your journey. I, and it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So Hal, I definitely appreciate it. Just reiterating that all of websites, socials, apps, all that good stuff will be in the show notes. But Hal, thank you so much for this opportunity, man. Matt, it is an honor, brother. Thank you for having me. You have just tuned into episode number 244 here on the Decoding Success Podcast featuring our friend, Hal Elrod. Now, with that being said, in the episode, I had mentioned that you could connect with Hal through the show notes, which features his socials, his website, his book, or his books, I should say, because there's 12 of them, his app, which just came out, and on top of that, the documentary, which is absolutely incredible. You could find all of that in the show notes of this particular episode. And beyond that, being that you're still listening to this voice, come through your speakers, come through your headphones, come through your car, come through your phone, however you're listening to this, being that you're still listening to this, I'm going to urge you to make sure that you're sharing this with at least two people in your life. Not three, not one, just two. Start there. You know why? Because Hal's work not only can radically shift your life for the better, but it can radically improve the lives of the people that are in your life. You now have that power to share this and improve lives. So I'm urging you to do that. And even beyond that, if you have yet to subscribe to the show, maybe it's your first time tuning in, I'm going to urge you to smash that subscribe button, whether you're on Apple or Spotify or Google or iHeart or CastBox, wherever you're tuning in from. And lastly, I'm going to urge you to leave a rating and review. I'm not going to sit here and ask you for five stars. I know that I'm throwing a lot at you right now, asking you to share it, asking you to subscribe, asking you to rate and review, but that allows us to get incredible individuals just like Hal on the show, and it allows us to have more people join our community. So leave that rating and review. Until next time, everyone, see you next Wednesday. Peace.